This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. So Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. This is the word of God. 
I'll now invite Pastor Andrew up for the sermon. Thanks, Nick. And uh, with Nick, I would like to once again welcome everyone to BTBC for our second service. It's always a joy, it's always a privilege to gather with God's people. So why don't we just look around, say hi, give a high five in the air or something to acknowledge each other and thank God for each other. Young and old, we all love you. And when you're cute in yellow, it's even better. All right, and I hope you have your Bible with you because today we have a complicated passage. And uh, for the you, if you have your Luke journal, that will really help. So have your Bibles open as you come with me to um, today's passage. Why don't we pray together and ask God to help us? Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're God who loves us despite our wickedness. All these generations that have passed, we have never improved ourselves, but nevertheless, Christ came for us. We thank you for last week. We are reminded that you give the Holy Spirit to those who come to you because you are a generous Father. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit be with us today as we engage with your word, that you help us to speak. Uh, to hear you speak and to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, having wrong beliefs can have very serious consequences. Some people choose to believe that veggies are bad and meat is good, or vice versa, and a few years' time you realize that there is consequence to that. Some people believe that truths, they are objective, some people think and believe that truths are merely subjective and we have a battle called the tolerance or the intolerance. Some people believe all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and so he plays all the time. While some others think that all play and no work makes Jane a poor girl and she works all the time. And if you're in between, you will sign up and attend seminars on work-life balance. Well, some people believe in the spiritual world. Others believe only in the material world. And still others believe in both. They believe in the spiritual world, but practice only the practical world and it shapes our lives. Some people believe there is one God. Others believe there are many gods and still others believe that we are gods. And so we have different worldviews. Now, when we come to the Gospel of Luke, which you have in your hand, the big question that Luke really wants us to think about is, what about Jesus? Who do we believe Jesus is? What do we believe about him practically? In today's passage, Jesus wants us to know this thing, that our belief in Jesus and our response to Jesus carries serious consequence. So I hope you have your Bible open up and we'll be digging right into it. Now, the passage begins this way in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Now, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. Now, here's the thing you may not know about me, that I love languages. But languages don't love me. All right? I've learned many languages, I've studied 
Japanese, I've learned Malay, I've learned phonetics, and even Mandarin. But I could hardly communicate with most of these languages. And of course, there is Greek, there are Hebrews, then my lecturers wonder what's wrong with me. And then there is sign language. Actually, when I was in the army, I would book out every week and night to learn sign language for one whole year. So no rhyme or reason, and I cannot remember anything at all. But there's one thing that I remember in all this experience, the exasperation of trying to communicate, and you can't. I wonder if you have, have that even at home or at work. You try to communicate and you're exasperated and you just can't get things true. Now here's a man, everyone knew he was mute. He could not speak for a long time. We have no idea if he could even read. Okay, but he was struggling. You can imagine his exasperation trying to communicate in his society 2,000 years ago. He could only use his gestures, he could use body language. Even if he could write, there are no cheap papers paper. And in that time, being mute can easily make him just invisible in the society. No one would want to act as a mute because it does nothing to them. And so when Jesus came along in today's passage, what did he do? He cast out a demon and everyone was amazed. In fact, no one could deny that this was a miracle. Now, Jesus had been casting out demons for years. He's been healing the sick. He even raised a few dead people in his time. So it was undeniable when you reach today's passage that Jesus was truly doing a mirac miraculous work. You know, the, the years of the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 35, just a few chapters back, he told that to John the Baptist's disciples, that the eyes of the blind opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lamb leaped like a deer, and the mute tongue opens up and shouts for joy. So the most obvious response at this time, if you're in this passage, is that you are meant to listen and believe in Jesus. But here's the thing. Unbelief can still lurk around even when all the evidence are given. Let me say that again. Unbelief can still lurk around even when the evidence becomes undeniable. I wonder if you have that or seen that in life. So here they have, since they could not deny the miracles, the unbelieving seeks to do two things. First of all, they try to discredit the Messiah. Second, they try to play it down by asking for more signs. Look at how they do that. Here's a mute man who has been set free from his bondage, and the response was this. Verse 15, some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Verse 16, others tested him by asking for a sign. Now, who, who is Beelzebub? Who is Beelzebub? Now, in, in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 1, there is this uh, king of Judah. His name is Ahaziah, uh, in the time of Elijah. So, one day he injured himself, 2 Kings 1, and instead of seeking Yahweh God, he turned to look for Beelzebub. The, the God of the Akrons. So because he did that, Elijah's words came to him that because he did not seek Yahweh and seek Baalzebub, you're going to die in your bed. And incidentally, in that occasion, the signs of heaven, one of the famous signs of heaven also happened. 
The king of Judah was unhappy and tried to look for Elijah. And two times, Elijah caught up fire from heaven, which burned a captain and 50 men twice. So two captains and two 50 men. When the third captain and third 50 men came, he was on his knees and said, have some respect for my life. Don't do it again. And that was the sign of heaven. So who is Beelzebub? Well, in the Old Testament, he's the God of Akrons. But in the context of today's passage, if you look at it, Jesus simply calls him in verse 18, Satan. How about the signs of heaven? Well, we're not sure what they're actually asking for, but it will be an irony. Can you imagine that these slanderers are saying to Jesus, bring down some fire from heaven to destroy God's enemies and we'll believe. It would be such an irony. Now, Jesus knew their thoughts and he responded to both of these slanders. The first will be found in verse 17 to 28 if you have your Bible. The first slander, Jesus' response will be not power from Satan, but he came to defeat Satan. The second slander that Jesus will respond to is found in verse 29 to 32, the next portion, where Jesus will say, not by sign or miracles on demand, but the miracle of salvation that I brought. So join me as we look at this portion, the first part, uh, and first respond to the first slander. Jesus said in verse 17, look at verse 17. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Now, Jesus began with this really simple, logical point. He's saying this, you have a kingdom and a civil war, there's nothing very much left in this kingdom. The walls will crumble without anyone attacking it because civil war crumbles the kingdom. And Jesus says, if that's so in the human kingdoms, how about the kingdom of Satan? He has been standing for a long, long time. How much more for Satan's kingdom? Your logic is incoherent. And he adds on verse 19, look at verse 19. If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? He's looking at the slanderers and he's saying this. Will you look at your own people who are casting out demons instead of praising God says that they are the followers of Satan? Now, you wouldn't say that, but you're saying it now to me. The only matter of fact is this, that the only logical thing that they need to confront is with is that Jesus, who has been with them for the past few years, doing miracles after miracles, that he is the Messiah from God. But they refuse to respond to that. And Jesus makes the point that the slanderers you will have to confront with the reality that if I am the Messiah, then God's kingdom has come. And here Jesus uses an Old Testament phrase that is really, really interesting. I wonder if you have spotted it. Verse 20, look at it with me. Verse 20, Jesus said this, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus claimed his miracles were undeniably by the finger of God. Now, here's the account. I'll show you the verse in a short while. The story of the Exodus. You know the story about Exodus, the ten plagues? So that famous story, Aaron, Moses, they came to claim God's people. Pharaoh, he decided that he wanted to pit himself against God. 
So what did Pharaoh do? He got his magicians, he's got his sorcerers. When Aaron tried to, uh, Moses tried to do a miracle, they tried to replicate it. But they just did it, did to do it one or twice before the magicians actually realized, can't do it anymore. So they said to their boss, boss, can't do it. Okay, the boss who could chop off their head, this is what they say to him. The Egyptian magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. Right in the early 10 plagues or 10 miracles in Exodus, the whole Egypt already knew the finger of God. They already knew the power of Yahweh. The only one that refused was Pharaoh. Jesus, as he comes here, look back to Luke 11. Jesus is saying that the slanderers, they have no logical way to deny that it is the finger of God, but they will continue to harden their hearts as Pharaoh did. They refuse to acknowledge that Jesus, God's Messiah, has indeed come. But Jesus says, but I have come, and I will tell you how the kingdom of God is being brought in. And so from verses 21 to 23, look at it with me. But Jesus says this, that now there's this strong man. Give you an account. There's this strong man. He's fully armed. Who's this? He's Satan. Satan has come. He was guarding his house. And he has been successful all this time. He is a strong man. He accused us of our sins. He made claims for our death. And he is right. He's got his prisoners. No one can overcome him. But then Jesus, the stronger man, came along. He attacks. He overpowers Satan. And the prisoners that Satan captive because of sin are now being set free by the power of the stronger man, Jesus. Now, we've seen Jesus defeating Satan a few times already. Right back earlier in chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus, Jesus has overcome Satan. In the last few weeks, as we were looking at the previous chapters, Jesus has overcome the kingdom of darkness, has been casting out demons, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead. And here in today's passage, chapter 11, verse 14, again, he cast out the mute demon. And we will know Jesus will finally defeat Satan again on the cross where our sins will totally be paid for and the prisoners will totally be set free. But Jesus says, this is the reality of what I'm doing. The fulfillment of God's rescue, the reclaiming of my people but he has more to say and this is what he says in this spiritual warfare i'd like to tell you that there is no neutral ground look at what jesus says in verse 23 following me verse 23 whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters now, the slanderers, they were clearly not with Jesus. They were opposing Jesus. But more than that, Jesus is actually saying this. There is no, there's no room for fence-sitters. There's actually no room for a third option. Yes, the crowd was amazed by Jesus' miracles back in verse 14. But the question Jesus has for the crowd is, but do you believe in me? For if you are not with me after recognizing what I've done and who I am, you are against me as well, and you will scatter. Now, this is actually quite frightening. Because it also means that you and I, we sit in the aircon room, what we call a church 
gathering does not guarantee us that we are safe. As much as the crowd who are looking at Jesus and being amazed, Jesus is asking, which side are you on? Perhaps this stand has a warning for us that there will come a point where after all has been said and all has been taught at Sunday school, at youth, at church, all evidence presented, that each of us will still have to take a side and we have to make a choice. There is Satan, strong man who accuses us of our sins and our deserving death. And there is Jesus, the stronger man who overcomes Satan and offers us a place in the kingdom of heaven. There aren't three options in a spiritual war because it covers all ground. Meaning, there's no three options, meaning believing in Jesus, not believing in Jesus, and being indifferent. Jesus says being indifferent is the same as not believing. Just imagine a doctor. Okay, imagine a doctor coming to you, telling you with a very grave looking face, you have a ruptured, very badly ruptured appendicitis. You need an operation right now. What options do you have? You can believe in him and go under the knife, or you can say what nonsense you are and walk away. Telling him, let me go home and think about it for another few weeks, is not an option. That option is as good as saying, I don't believe in you, and I'm going my own way. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Death is a constant reminder that our clock is ticking. That is probably the thing that is most obvious to us. Whether you believe death exists or not, it doesn't matter because it comes to ask when the time comes. There is no fence sitting in the spiritual world. In fact, to drill this point down, Jesus goes on to verse 24 to 26 to say that having a demon cast out is not an automatic inclusion into God's kingdom. So look at verse 24 and 26. Can you imagine me, right, that um, you have a mute man, he opened his mouth, he's singing and praising, and he was, Jesus suddenly pulled him up, put him next to him and put his shoulder over him so that he would not walk away. And then he says this. Just imagine a crowd looking at a visual sermon there. Jesus with a man who was mute and talking. And he said this. When an impure spirit comes out of a man or a person, it goes through a red places seeking rest and does not find it. Then he says, I will return to the house I left. When he arrives, they find the house swept clean and put in order. Then he goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Can you imagine if the crowd was there? Just imagine there was a crowd, Jesus was there, this man, and Jesus says, there is no guarantee that the spirit goes out, doesn't come back. Look at the shock of the man. And the crowd looking at the man, looking at Jesus, looking at the man, looking at Jesus, hopefully they also look at their own hearts to realize what Jesus is saying yes for sure the miracle of casting out a demon cleared the house of one in bondage but it will not stay empty for those who follow jesus last week we learned that god god the father is graciously giving the holy spirit to reside in his people but here we have those who do not and they are left open for a worse condition. In fact, there is this account, if you read John 5, it's a very interesting account. In the, um, in the account, there was Jesus. He was at a pool and sheep gate, and there was a man who was invalid. He couldn't get in the pool, and Jesus went and healed him, and he just left. The man has no idea who is Jesus. 
But I don't think he was doing very well because Jesus came back and looked for this man again and he said these words in John 5. He says, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Do you get the picture? This man was healed. He gets blessings. And Jesus says, watch out. Be careful. Do not sin. And do not turn away because you'll be worse off. What can be worse off than being unable to move your whole life? I think it's being dead spiritually forever. You know what the man did after that? After Jesus said that to the man, the man looked at Jesus. He ran to report to the Jewish leader and say, that man was the one that did miracle on Sabbath. And that day, the Jewish leaders decide they want to persecute Jesus and eventually kill him. That miracle was not a guarantee that invalid is going to go to heaven. A miracle, a blessing, there's no guarantee that you're in God's favor. It is responding to God. Coming back to Luke 11, verse 26, let us hear the warning of Jesus when he says, the final condition of that man is worse than the first. There is no neutrality in spiritual warfare. We're all in it, and here is what Jesus is saying. Satan is as real as you and I are. If for a moment you think that he's not, Jesus says, he is as real as you are and I am, and this fighting for souls for God's kingdom is constant. Now, we don't talk about Satan very much, so how does Satan battle for his loots all this while? Apparently, he's very successful. Right? He's the strong man. Well, there are many ways, but here are some ways. One of the ways... Satan's weapon is, is to start creating a caricature of himself. Just think of Satan, you think of that little red thing with a little red tail with two, two horns, or your Netflix or some movies. Basically, caricature of Satan to tell us, hey, don't take it too serious, I'm not real. Another way Satan may deal with us or distract us is by making himself look less relevant in our materialistic and our circularistic world. You'll say, hey, guys, you have too much things to worry about, money, relationships, all kinds of things. Don't be bothered with me. I'm going to be around. Go and deal with your stuff first. Get busy with what is important to you. There are other ways Satan can deal with us or wants to deceive us. You know, Satan want, don't, wouldn't want to try and tell you that God does not exists and that judgment is not real, but he'll tell us you still got time. Plenty of time. You heard the news? Well, you got a few more years. Come back to it later when you are done enjoying yourself. But there are hundreds of ways that Satan does. You can read Screwtape Letter from C.S. Lewis. It's great. But the reality is this. We are living in a spiritual warfare that only two likes to take. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, as Jesus finished speaking, as this woman, I imagine is a mom, such a loving mom, she cried out to praise Jesus, saying, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Now, it was a well-meaning praise. In fact, it fulfills um, Luke chapter 1, 48, where Mary herself says, all generations will now call me blessed. It was great. It lightens the heart. 
of the tension of that room, but Jesus turns around, use that, he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, given the context of today's passage, if you're still with me, and Jesus is saying this, hearing the message alone does not equate to having received the blessings of God. You know, it's like those who like to watch soccer. Like, it's like sitting there, big screen, uh, with your friends and watching a soccer match and shouting and screaming and how slow the runners are. And for a moment, you thought that you are the healthy one and you are running in the game. But you know what? The reality is you were never in the game. You're watching a TV. How is this, how easy it is for us to think that we are in the game when we are not? Or that just because we have heard a lot of sermons that we are in the kingdom of heaven when perhaps we have never chose Jesus. It's no good merely to be amazed at Jesus. Rather, it's a call to hear scripture that Jesus, he is the Messiah to obey the scriptures by believing him and turning to him. So today's passage, as we look at it, Jesus really wants us to ask this question. Where are we with him? Which side of the fence are we on? There are no fence sitters, according to Jesus. Now, this is Jesus' response to the first lender. He came not by the power of Satan, but to defeat Satan himself. Where will we stand? Now, as the crowd increases, Jesus then says, verse 29, he turns to the second slander that they have. Now, in fact, this is how Jesus addressed as the crowd gathers more and more. He looks at them and he says, you wicked generation. What a way to make friends and uh, win fans, isn't it? Can you imagine you came in today, uh, 11, 15, 11, 16, or 11.31, whichever time you think church starts. And Nick comes along and looks at you and says, you wicked generation. How would you like that? Probably next week you're not going to be here. If you're still here, probably you were coffee depraved. You didn't actually hear what Nick was saying about you. Or you had airpods or earphones on your, on your ears and you didn't hear. You were playing your food. If Nick had said that to you, that would be the most unpleasant thing as a welcome. But you know what? That is exactly what Jesus said as the crowd increased. He was intentional because he wants to deal with the second slander from verse 16, where the people tested Jesus by asking for a sign from heaven. So look at verse 29. This is a wicked generation. It asked for a sign, but none will be given in except the sign of Jonah. Now, who knows the story of Jonah? Anyone knows the story of Jonah? Yep. Okay, some do. Uh, some are. You with me? <laughs> yes. Who knows the story of Jonah? Yep. Okay, great. Hey, some of you are just cold. Um, there are two things about the sign of Jonah or the story of Jonah that is significant. The one was this, that Jonah was swallowed by this big fish for three days and three nights. And when he finally reached the land of Nineveh, the fish just vomited him on the shore. One man in the largest city of the enemies of Israel. That's the first miracle. And in the account of Matthew, he, uh, Matthew would say that, one of the signs is pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think it's true. I think in Luke here, he has 
something, the second sign that he really wants us to focus on, it is what you read in responsive reading where Jonah proclaimed the message and the warning of judgment. I think this is the focus because Jesus brings two examples to speak about the condition of their hearts and the judgment to come. So come with me to verse 31. The first example Jesus gave was the Queen of Sheba. Jesus says the Queen of Sheba will rise, uh, sorry, the Queen of the South, the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. But she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Now, who is, who is the Queen of the South? Uh, in, in the heydays of Israel's history, there are days when the days of King Solomon, the day where it was glorious being an Israelite and the world admires him. And this Queen of the South, also called Queen of Sheba, she heard the fame of Solomon. She was a great queen herself. She didn't believe, so she traveled a far distance to Jerusalem to see the king of Judah, the king of Israel. And when she did, she could not believe that such a man exists and that such a God is so real. I want to read to you the account of her words after she has been totally overwhelmed. Let me read this to you. These are the words of the Queen of Sheba. The report I heard in my own country about your achievement and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Our praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. You know what's happening? This Gentile woman, when she came to the land of Israel and saw Solomon, she could not help but say, how happy the people of God must be that they have such a good and wise king. How loving your God is to have given you such an amazing king. Gosh, you are such blessed people. And she gave tons of gold to Solomon. Jesus says, now you have someone way grander and greater than Solomon. The king of God, the Messianic king, has come to you himself. And you're going to reject him. And you will kill him. On that day, that gentle woman will be a testimony and a judgment to your generation. And the second, as he moved on, he comes back to Nineveh in verse 32. Now, they were known to be, the Ninevites, they were, they were not nice people. They were known to be very cruel in history. They were known to be the enemies of God. And here they repent at the preaching of Jonah. Do you, do you notice when you were reading the responsive reading just now in uh, Jonah chapter 3 that Jonah is not a very nice person? I don't know if you noticed that. Jonah wasn't very nice. He was this single Israelite in this grand big city that takes three days to walk. That all of them are enemies of Israel. He walks in on day one, he looks at them and says, all of you are going to hell. 
That's what he says. 40 days. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. He didn't even tell, you, tell them to repent. He just, you're gone, you're gone. He just walked around saying, you're, you're dead. And you know what happened? Nobody killed Jonah. All of them repented, even the king. They took off their royal robes and they put on sackcloth and said, no one are meant to wear anything nice. Put on your sackcloth. Perhaps the God of Israel will have some mercy on us. And the last verse that we all read together in Jonah 3, and God had mercy on the man of Nineveh. Now Jesus says, on that day, those cruel men of Nineveh will stand as a judge on you because what you have is way greater than Jonah. King of Israel, the Messiah of God, the King of Heaven has come to you. You do not want to hear him. You want to get rid of him. Jesus says he does not come to perform signs and miracles on demand. It's not your TV channel. Jesus says, I've come to preach repentance and offer you God's miraculous salvation. The Queen of the South repented and believed. The men of Nineveh repented and they were forgiven. The question is, how will we respond in the presence of the King of God? He has proclaimed, he has healed, he has offered salvation. Will we respond to him and be called the blessed ones? Or will we be scattered with the wicked generation? Now here's the question. If you've never really seriously read the Bible or think about Jesus or ask questions, you know what? It's good to ask questions. In fact, read the Bible. Figure out if this is true or not yourself. There's a time to be a queen of Sheba to ask questions and to find answers in the Bible. But there will be a time, and a time will come, when everything has been told to us. The question is, are we going to say to God, show me another sign before I want to believe? If you appear before me, I might trust you. Or perhaps, Jesus, you're just another flute. The clock is ticking with us as well as with our generation. Will we repent like the man of Nineveh? Because if we do, Jesus offers forgiveness, miraculous salvation to us. We will receive forgiveness of sins and we will be the blessed ones in the kingdom. The danger of Jesus is really the hardened hearts. Demanding God to do more signs to amuse us, refusing to acknowledge him when he has shown us what we need to have. The danger is when we sit on our thrones and try to judge the king in his throne. Now as you wrap up everything, today is a hard passage. I don't want to make it easier because Jesus didn't make it easy. At the end, as we wrap up, Jesus gives this final teaching where he turns and he wants to speak to each of us individually. Uh, in your English Bible, you probably will notice this, but let me just bring out to you that in verse 34, He's been talking to the crowd in verse 34. All the your is a singular, as if Jesus is really speaking to each and every one of the people in the crowd. He didn't use a plural. He says a singular. It's you. Listen. You. Answer. Jesus said in verse 33, No one likes a lamb and puts it where it will be hidden under a bowl or under, or under a bowl. The light here 
And, and the lamb here refers to Jesus. He brings the light. In the context, what we have right at the start was that Jesus had already done a miracle. Jesus had already stood up and they have to respond who he is. That is the light of verse 33. So the truth is before everyone's eyes and everyone can see Jesus, darkness of Satan being dispelled, the kingdom advancing. The question, however, Jesus wants to wrap it up here is what the people can receive inside of them depends on the condition of their eyes, their spiritual eyes. Because here's the thing, our eyes are the windows to our soul. The sun may be out, we can, but if we have cataracts in our eyes, if our eyes are sick, we can't see stuff. Just imagine this light, this hall is really bright. But if I close my eyes right now, just imagine I'm closing my eyes right now, and you say you're here, I can say you're not here, this is just a recording. You say, hey, listen to me. I'm here, I'm walking around, you can hear my voice, you can smell my breath, and I say, that's just a fake. You are just someone imitating someone else. And you may even tap my shoulder and say, but I can't see you, leave me alone. You can be so real, but if I close my eyes here, I can't see you, because my eyes is the window to what I would believe, and so it is spiritually. What we read is this, verse 34, your eyes, the lamp, this is the second lamp. This lamp is what you have in you, not verse 33, which is Jesus. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. So the light is God's truth, but the receivers, including you and me, we have to choose whether we'll look at the light or we'll close our eyes. Because our eyes is the window to perceive the light. It acts as the lamp of our body. Just imagine for me, I've got glasses. They're pretty clear. Some dust, but imagine with me for a moment, I will just paint these glasses into purple. Okay, I've painted it, it's purple. I look at you, everything you show me is going to be purple. You show me a white notebook, it's going to be purple. You show me a hamburger, I say it's rotten because it's purple. You show me vegetables, I say they are purple vegetables. And you look at yourself, I say all of you looks like the dinosaur that looks purple. Why? Because it's not because you are purple, but because this is my lens. And I've chosen to receive that into my heart and into my body. That's the problem of the generation. Jesus casts out demons. And they look at Jesus and they say, you're from Beelzebub. They have very unhealthy spiritual eyes. And so Jesus gave the warning. Sounds like a paradox, but he's really not. Look at it carefully, me. He gives this warning, verse 35. He says this, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. It sounds like a paradox because the light within you is not darkness. How do you have light in you that is actually dark? Well, I think, I think it's this. What Jesus is saying is, be careful that you do not fall in love with evil. You do not fall in love with your own kingship. Because when you do, you will reject the true king. When our eyes, our spiritual eyes, only accept things that are purple or green or sin, nothing good is seen as light for us. Because we will navigate our lives not with truth, but with darkness that will lead to 
judgment. So Jesus' warning is this, we need to consider whether what we think is our guiding light each day, is it really light or is it darkness that leads us to death? And so as we conclude, we started today with this statement, having wrong beliefs can have various consequences. And that's certainly true of Jesus. Is Jesus really from God? Well, Luke has been trying to convince us that he is. Is the spiritual world real? Is Satan real? Jesus says he is as real as you are. He is the strong man, but I am the stronger man. Are there really no fence sitters? Jesus says this is a spiritual warfare. There are no fence. Satan does not leave us alone. Unless God's Holy Spirit is in us, we have an open, empty house for him. Are there really just two options that we either have Jesus or against Jesus? Jesus says this, that those who are not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And finally, the question we have to contend with is, do we really believe that we need to repent to escape judgment? Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obeys it. Jesus also says, a day will come when the queen of Sheba, she's going to be real. The men of Nineveh, they are real. They're going to be a judge on the rest of the generations. So dear friends, as we wrap up, what do we believe about Jesus? And this is how Jesus wraps this up, not in a negative way, but with the most beautiful offer. It's been sounding very heavy, but I want to bring up the last verse where Jesus brings the most beautiful offer, hope, and joy that we can receive. Look at the last verse and we will wrap up today. Look at verse 36. Jesus says this, Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when the lamp shines its light on you. Now for those whose spiritual eyes, Jesus says, are willing to see Jesus for who he is, that's how we started in verse 14, 15, and 16. Jesus says, if you are willing to see me for who I am and receive me for who I truly am, the Messiah King from heaven who is bringing the kingdom of God, then Jesus says, let me say to you that your eyes will receive the same light that the light is shining at you. And the light of God will fill you. No parts of your heart will be ruled by darkness. You'll be just as full of light as when the Lamb shines His light on you. That we will have the Holy Spirit. This is the followers had in verse 13 last week. So this is where we wrap up today that Jesus has brought the light of salvation, the light has come to us. The eyes that accept Jesus will be full of light. The eye that rejects Jesus will only be led by the light they chose for themselves. May the Lord's Spirit help us that we may see and hold on to Jesus. Shall we pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's passage. Uh, it is heavy because Jesus did not let up and he was heavy on his crowd. We just pray, God, that as we hear that you do not give us discouragement, but that your Holy Spirit that you have promised to those who come to you will enable us to turn to Jesus, that will enable us to see Jesus 
and will enable us to receive Him as the King of our lives. Because if He is our King, then we shall be with Him in His kingdom. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. Uh, we're going to move to the time of breakout and discussion now. So there are two questions today. Okay, so question one, uh, what does it mean when the light within the person is darkness? And how can our body be full of light? So please refer to verse 35 and 36 for this. And also share one thing you've learned from today's passage. So feel free to just discuss with the people around you, in front of you, behind you. Uh, we'll be back in five minutes. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.